Hey, are you uh, you fresh from therapy again? <laughs> fresh from therapy, and then I got a voicemail, and then I called back, and then Ooh. they're not available, and so I'm like, okay, can they call back at 4:30? Oh, so now boy. I kind of have like the looming, oh god, yeah, someone wants to call me. <laughs> what what that's could that a, be about? That's the thing, no, it's yeah, it's the worst. Never anything good. No. Over on my end, I'm just uh, busy with little things, simple things, but movies have become, I was on a tear there for a while and now yeah, movies, are, movies are starting to feel a little homeworky now and now I'm struggling to, I, I saw at least three movies that I loved since oh. the last time we talked, but I just need to gather my thoughts. I haven't thought about them. Uh, yeah, till now, calling up Letterboxd for help. Yeah, I'm opening things too. So I've seen I've seen like six things, but really I've seen four major releases uh, that I believe we have both seen and really liked at least three of. But I've also seen the only other extra thing I've seen is Psycho Gorman. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If yeah, you... I I did not watch that. Okay, so I'll give that a brief little because it's just it's a it's a novelty product. Um. Not to pat it on the head too much, but uh, yeah, should I get that out of the way first? Uh, let's do it. All right. So Psycho Gorman, uh, look at that, me getting revved up before I'm even ready, is a film, a 2020 uh, science fiction comedy film directed by Stephen Kostansky. It is, uh, God, did you, have you seen anything related to this movie? Do you know anything about it? I did Google it once. You Googled you it. You said that you had watched it, but I don't even know if I clicked on anything. And it was enough for you to be like, okay, what's, no, I what might else? watch it at some point. I just, what else didn't, is going on? I just, no, didn't it get is into it. a, no, it's a, yeah, it's a big, dumb, silly, like rubber suit sci fi action comedy with little kids as the stars. Essentially, these children, Mimi and Luke, unwittingly resurrect an ancient alien overlord they have this amulet that they can use to control him he of course is the stock comedy character of the overly serious alien who doesn't you know who just wants to kill everything and uh i was drawn to this movie because it is a uh, i mean it has like digital effects but for the most part it's rubber suits and puppets and animatronics and so it's kind of like a glorified backyard movie I don't mean to be like dismissive of it. I think it's really, really an achievement in, in those terms, mm-hmm. but it is. And, and I think it has a little more structure and humor to it as far as the script goes than you would expect from something that essentially looks like people got together and, you know, made a movie with resources they had in their homes. But um, so I, it's a, if you look at the trailer or it or stills and it looks at all like, like, you know, something you'd be into anyone listening uh it's worth it if it looks like your type of a thing if not it's not it's probably not worth it right anyway that's psycho gorman i gave it three stars on letterboxd <laughs> nice sounds great uh yeah all right so then the other the four main releases that i have and i know you've seen some things that i did not see yeah i One, saw minari we'll save that for when you've seen okay it. yes i'll watch it this week uh, or next perhaps so the, other than that i have nomad land malcolm and marie Judas and the Black Messiah and Barb and Star. That's right. So got all four. Yay. Uh, and I think we were both lucky enough to see Nomadland in the theater. Yes. That was uh, that was special. Do you want to talk about well, it or do you want me? Sure. So Nomadland, obviously, 2020 American. Wikipedia says neo-Western drama. Do you agree mm. with that? I don't really. 
But anyway, it was directed and written and edited and produced by Chloe Zha. It's amazing. Based mm. on the 2017 nonfiction book, Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century by Jessica Bruder. So this stars Frances McDormand as Fern. And through a series of events in her life, um, her husband dying and then the town where they lived their life together, completely shutting down when the uh, industry goes away there, she finds that she can't really settle down or doesn't really have the means to support herself through social security or what other means. And so she takes to living out of her van and getting seasonal work in different parts of the country. And she meets other folks um, among them, David Strathairn, who lives in a similar way, and other real-life people who kind of play fictionalized versions of themselves uh, that she meets on the road. This is a, this is just a lovely. I don't know. I don't want to say it's like a mood piece, but the uh, the shots and the cinematography of the country are fascinating. Um, watching how people are choosing to live, um, not off the grid, but in a completely different way than probably most of the viewers of the movie. It's fascinating. A wonderful performance, of course, from Frances McDormand. Um, what do you think of Nomadland, Josh? Need I oh, add? God, I loved it. Uh, what a! It was just to be the first movie that I saw in a theater. And folks, there was only two other people. They were very far away. I made sure it was very safe. Uh, what, a, what a reintroduction to the theater going because it was in the IMAX theater in the mm. AMC that I went to. Yeah. And I sat a little too close, but I, I really appreciated that. It's not like a show-off movie in terms of cinematography. It's no. just a very straightforward, and there's a lot of like kind of you know grayish vistas of, of the United States, but that's what the movie is. Uh Dan, I love this movie. I didn't I went in mostly blind. I generally knew what it was kind of about, and I knew, you know, what it looked like, but I didn't know what to expect and so i felt like i was watching one thing and then it very quickly turned into something else and all for the better because so when i saw that it was about people displaced from a, this closing factory in nevada this whole town that was dissolved and their zip code was canceled mm -hmm. uh i and then it cuts to an amazon fulfillment center i thought oh this is a you know a, a capitalism horror movie uh, which is not what it is. No, nope. uh, not at all. I just thought that it was going in that direction and that it was going to be about homelessness and capitalism and displacement and all these things. And it's really not. It brushes up against some of those things. But the people in this movie are living the way they're living by choice. And ultimately, it does give you a nice uh, experience among this this group, interesting group of people. But it's not even really about that so much as it's about the, the the character study of Fern, um, Frances McDormand, and there's so much more going on uh, in inside of her. And yeah, um, I loved the non-actors, the, the great use of non-actors as real people. Uh, I, I hate the fact that when there's, I don't know, how do I word this? When you start to see person after person who is not like movie attractive, you immediately are like, oh, non-actors. I hate that. Like, mm -hmm. Actors should be all different types of people that exist. But, uh, you know, it just, it's just kind of the way it goes. Um, I, had a, I thought it was beautiful, and it surprised me, and it, it wasn't heavy-handed or preachy about anything in particular. It was just a fascinating journey. 
Right. And neither did it really romanticize the way they live because I see what you mean about like it's a choice that they make, but it's the choice that they make out of a lot of unattractive choices. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like that yeah. people realize that, oh, I can't survive on social security or I lost my house or there's so much that I want to do and I won't be able to afford it first class. So I'm going to do it this way because Fern did have a few choices mm-hmm. and this was just what she chose. This was the choice of the several unattractive ones <laughs> that yeah. that she had. I think that um, McDormand plays it so subtly and so gracefully and so beautifully um, her her loneliness and her need, her, her backwards need for isolation. She doesn't want to relate. And at the same time, she is very open and community-oriented toward people who live her way. She yeah. just doesn't, she's not open with people who she's left behind. Yeah, and that was the interesting thing about the movie was, to me, was that it, it's a deep exploration of this alternate way of living. It's, it's an expose of the failure of, of capitalism and society without being heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it also, once you realize, yeah, that at any time Fern could have gone to live with her sister or she had many options open to her, but that, then I realized it was about more about being a human and more about what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. how this human ticks uh, that than it is about any societal declarations or anything so i i really appreciated that the um the, the image the the big promotional still that goes around is that picture of her i think it's a poster as well it's her standing by the by the rocks and she's looking into the camera and i just i saw mm-hmm. a really funny twitter run where someone said based on that they thought that this was a female reboot of Ernest. Oh. I thought that it would be like fourth wall breaking <laughs> and then they kind of went from there and it was pretty funny. It's uh, not really that at it's all. It's not. She doesn't really look. I did, it's not that kind of a movie at all, but they chose that image. And uh, there's also another poster that makes it look like a wacky adventure. It has like this big, crazy font, Nomadland, and it has little cartoons of of Bob. What is his name? The the guru of the Bob Wells. Lifestyle. Bob Wells and Swanky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has like these weird little caricatures of them. And that is a very interesting approach to Mark this how do you market this movie anyway i guess you know uh award-worthy performances and interesting vistas uh it's excellent yeah Yeah, i i I feel like this is the movie to beat for the year i feel like it speaks to 2020 without really being about 2020 that sense of kind of like well what's all this about and i'm not necessarily desperate but i'm also not happy and i'm also isolated but also connected in all the wrong ways yeah yeah this really will be the one to beat i mean it's it's greatness and uh just an interest just to think of the daunting task of adapting a nonfiction book uh and doing it taking this approach the balancing act of the non-actors and the actors and the fiction and the it masterfully achieved. I think mm-hmm. it's really great. Shall I take on the mantle of Malcolm and Marie? You, do, you need to do that. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm and Marie is a Netflix film, 2021 uh, calling it a romance film, but I don't know about that. Nope. Directed by Sam Levinson, who is, I believe, the creator, showrunner, something, some creative 
uh, lead on the show Euphoria, which I think made Zendaya a uh, a, a mm, thing. I see. It makes sense. So yeah, and uh, so this film has two actors: Zendaya, Zendaya, and John David Washington. And Washington is playing a filmmaker named Malcolm, who has just premiered uh, his new film to great buzz and sudden acclaim. And he's jittery and excited and irritable from the experience of this screening. And his partner, uh, Marie, played by Zendaya, is uh, accompanied him. And we see them come home, which is there's only two actors in one location in, the, in a nice house somewhere in uh, Southern California. And we basically see them unwind and unpack after this evening. And then we see them argue and then we think they're making up and they're not. The argument's not done. And then it goes deeper and then they scream at each other how much they hate each other. And then they start to make love. But then she says something offhand that sets them off again. And then they're just digging at each other. And we find out the issues underneath everything have to do with her being the inspiration for his screenplay. And yet she was not cast in the lead. Uh, and these issues go very, very deep. And Dan, I think we were both a little frustrated by this movie, but why don't you tell me your thoughts? Yeah, I was really taken with the beginning. I really liked the look and the vibe and the groove. I I liked Zendaya especially. I, I just thought there was a coolness about it. I liked what I was seeing. And then it just became that insufferable argument for so long that had no resolution. And these two people are just miserable together and they're looking past one another they're not listening to one another i really i guess in the end sided with her and not him and he became more and more repulsive to me as the evening wore on now that i'm looking at sam levinson's wikipedia page and seeing that he's white that's even more peculiar to me mm -hmm. where this screenplay came from that has so much to do with uh, black experience in in the industry where where did that come from and is this about, is this insightful at all? Is this about anything deeper or relatable beyond this one couple's deep-seated dysfunction? And I came to the conclusion it wasn't. <laughs> I, I like the black and white. I think it had a cool look. I think it was well made. I think the actors did the best that they could with their, with their roles. But these aren't characters you'd want to spend any time with that you don't want to get to know. You don't want to learn their traumas and see them as people i just wanted to get out of that house and in fact i wish they themselves would have thought to escape from it i also look at the things through the lens of um like alcohol and addiction in this movie mm. and where she's playing a former addict or an addict or sober addict and all that he's drinking throughout is constantly drinking how he can even stand by the end of things I didn't know if that was supposed to be a statement on who he is in that relationship or if it was just a thoughtless movie drinking that we just always have drinks in our hand. But like, how late did you get home? How late are you actually going to bed? Aren't you just both exhausted? Ugh. Mm -hmm. I felt exhausted watching them. Yeah. And I, yeah, so I, I didn't enjoy this in the end. There has been a bit of controversy uh, concerning Levinson writing a movie not that a white screenwriter cannot write 
character is different from himself. Sure. But as you say, this movie is so steeped in, you know, the, the black creative experience and in Hollywood and, and some of the tirades that the characters go off on. Uh, it is kind of awkward to find out they were written by a white, a white man. Um, but also beyond that, I just felt like there were passages in the screenplay where it just, so- it just sounded like, the screenwriter right. blowing off steam. It was to me that got on top of the characters getting a bit tiresome. I felt that it was some, sometimes it was the character. Sometimes I stopped seeing the characters and I just felt like the script was pummeling me around the ears. Right. So, yeah, I, I was disappointed. It does. You're right. It looks great. Um, interesting setup. Great, great actors, but um, a misfire for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, Gosh, Dan, you have your your pick now. Which, which all right? I'm doing Judas. All right. So Judas and the Black Messiah was the other thing, and I was so excited about this movie because I learned about Fred Hampton like a year ago, and I guess that's real late to the party. But uh, when I heard that there was going to be this um, movie about him, I was really excited. And so it is a new American biographical drama. It's about the life of Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya who was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers Party in the late 60s in Chicago. Can you believe he was only 21? Mm. It's like Googling, how old is Daniel Kaluuya? He's 31. Mm. Um, anyway, it's, it's a great embodiment. And Lakeith Stanfield plays real-life person William O'Neill, who was a criminal who the FBI enlisted to um, help them get at Fred Hampton because they're worried about another... Um, Martin Luther King, they're worried about another uh, Malcolm X, and they want Fred Hampton out of the picture. And so uh, Jesse Plemons plays that FBI handler. Um, Jesse Plemons, what a career, and he can play a loathsome person like like the best yeah. of them. Um, also starring um, Dominique Fishback as uh, Fred Hampton's uh, girlfriend, partner, um, mother of his child. And Martin Sheen, oh geez, in the most uh, one-dimensional one J. Edgar Hoover you could imagine, and maybe J. Edgar Hoover really was one-dimensional. In Mighty Morphin um, Power Rangers makeup. Right. And so um, we, we watch uh, things unfold for what uh, life was like in the crew that uh, was the Black Panthers in Chicago. And we hear some inspiring and stirring um, speeches and rhetoric from Fred Hampton. We see how the Black Panthers were really about making sure that kids get fed and policing their own neighborhoods rather than relying on outside white police who uh, don't police uh, justly. And we have the kind of a, a mixed picture of who William O'Neill was in that he seems like he has a lot of sympathy with the Black Panthers and conviction for their cause. And at the same time says that this FBI um, director is, or an um, FBI handler is like a father to him and he liked being in that world too. And so we're not sure if we feel sorry for him. We're not sure if he was trapped. We're not sure if he was um, totally a betrayer. I-, I felt a little confused about that role, but I'm getting in deep mm-hmm. here before you've spoken. So what'd you think of this movie? Yeah, I thought overall, by and large, this was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a fascinating figure. I was not as aware of him as I think you have become, but I did... Uh, I, I know vaguely some of the beats of the story. And also I know that um, Hampton was n- not very well portrayed, but he was a side character in the Chicago seven movie. Mm. Sorkin right. exactly. He was exactly. the one who was 
was it was it seal was the guy in the mm-hmm. in the trial and he was kind of his contact with the with the panthers or whatever so uh anyway so i found the the figure to be fascinating um you know as a milk toast uh privileged white person i'm of course touchy when it comes to rhetoric that says explicitly says off the pigs and revolution Mm -hmm. and violence but uh i don't know you cannot deny the facts about fred hampton make him an extremely sympathetic and inspiring person and also that he for all of his rhetoric surrounding violence you can't ignore the fact that he makes a very good case that he and his people are at war right uh, to me, that's the part that makes it not so nebulous. Um, and anyway, as a film, I really, really enjoyed this portrayal. Uh, I loved Kaluuya's performance and, um, it's, it's shocking how, how now we can just tell these stories straight out about the FBI. Oh yeah. They decided to kill this man. So they did. Um, that's just a repeating story. And, and to think that we're out of the woods with things like that now is naive, um, I, all the politics aside, the movie is very, very good. I think where we're going to maybe get into a little bit of critique is with the portrayal, uh, as written of the character of Bill O'Neill. I thought that Lakeith Stanfield's mm-hmm. performance was excellent with what he was given. Uh, I always, these are two actors that I think I would watch in anything. They're both, uh, incredibly compelling. Um, yeah, but so, uh, why don't we talk about that a little bit? I guess the, um, the Judas to this black Messiah uh, the movie doesn't necessarily, uh, it just kind of lays the story out. And I feel like we get more internal, uh, in, internal stuff about Hampton than we do about O'Neill. O'Neill is not this conflicted black man who can't, he might be, but the script doesn't really give him much dimension. So is he conflicted about what he's doing? He's informing on the black Panthers. He's, uh, detailing Hampton's every move and then ultimately he is betraying him like a Judas uh in the end and to the end he seems you know he's obviously jittery and and, and crazed by the end but it, it there's no reason to think he's ever acting out of anything but self-interest right that was my that was my main issue i i felt like but first issue was that i wish his story hadn't been centered I wish that it had been a Fred Hampton biopic, really. Mm-hmm. And that's just me wishing what wasn't, you know, who cares? But I feel like that almost would have been stronger in the end of centering the Kaluuya performance and then allowing the ambiguity of the O'Neill character to be off to the side where we just do a lot of wondering. But when he's centered and we get a lot of details about where he's coming from, this isn't a person who's been unjustly thrown into the system by FBI who want him to do their bidding or that his family members let's say are threatened if he doesn't do what they say and we and we really understand this conflict and dilemma of of an innocent man who's being chewed up by the system he's a guilty man who could have walked away from this at any time by saying i'm i'll go pay for my crime and he he didn't and so we can judge that or not but like you say, I think he was acting entirely out of self-interest, whatever his personal sympathies were with Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. Right. And and as a viewer, I feel like if you're any kind of a, um, you know, if you have any freedom of thought and feeling, you're going to sympathize. So I found myself 
it's it's hard to take him as the main character because I'm already sympathetic with Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, at this point, two thirds of the way through this story, if you're still on the fence about him, that I don't, it's hard for me to connect to you as a character. Right. Um, unless you've just become one of the fascists, which you, that's not really it either. He's right. purely just in it for his own gain. And it seems like things worked out for him. I think in a movie like this, I'd almost expect the uh, FBI to arrest him anyway in the end. Right. Or right. kill him too or something. And they didn't. They gave they give him money for a yeah. business and to restart his life. And, you know, history shows us that he continued to live with this conflict and ultimately uh, couldn't hold it himself. Yeah. Yeah. And when they gave him an opportunity to comment on it, I found his his comments in that that documentary the pbs clip at the end of the real bill bill o'neill uh just devastatingly Mm -hmm. just yeah i mean to to have to hold that kind of stuff in your whole life and then i guess that explains why it just came out as such what a ridiculous statement but anyway uh yeah so you do get the follow-up and it's it's an all these are, are really nitpicks because it's an excellent movie um it's a it's needs to be the Fred Hampton story and just this idea of um, I, there's been several movies lately that have been an opportunity to look back at kind of the revolutionary movements of the sixties and seventies. And uh, I saw, I experienced those or the aftermath of those or the learning about those through a very filtered, you know, moderate white lens and mm-hmm. getting to kind of see them explored with more uh, rigor and honesty and, uh, I appreciate it very much, I guess. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, this movie is very, it's very strong and certainly worth seeing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, between that and Nomadland, those are two, those are, you know, the top 10 is already uh, mm-hmm. cooking here for 2021. All right. And then we have Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, a 2021 comedy. How about a one word description, a comedy mm-hmm. film? Comedy film. Uh, directed by Josh Greenbaum, written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, and it's starring them as this pair of characters. Now, I don't know. I've heard of these characters before, but I don't know much about their history. They feel like, you know, groundlings or second mm-hmm. city stage characters. They're basically just uh, fun-loving embodiments of middle-aged women. There's not much commentary going on. They are right. just fun and silly. And I really appreciate that about this whole movie. Uh, played by Wieg and um, Momolo, and they are two middle-aged gals who have been working together at Jennifer Convertibles for uh, a couple decades, I think. And one of their husbands is has passed away, one has left. So it's just them, and they sit on their conversation couch in the showroom every day. And uh, through a series of circumstances, they ultimately decide to take a trip to uh, Vista Del Mar, Florida, and put themselves out there and have a good time. And they get caught up into an incredibly ridiculous story of intrigue involving a supervillain, also played by uh, Wieg, whose name is uh, escaping me, and I don't see it on the list here. Uh, and also her henchman, played by Jamie Dornan, as uh, Edgar Paget. Uh, just an insane movie. The, the intrigue of the spy story has all of the pathos you'd expect from a, uh, Will Ferrell, Adam McKay produced comedy. 
I don't know, Dan, I liked the specific vibe of this movie very much. And I also found that I was just hungry for this kind of comedy, which we don't get very much anymore for some reason. Um, I found it refreshing. I haven't really gone into much detail, but it is what it is. The, the pleasure is in watching it unfold. I laughed a lot. It's weird. It's slight. It doesn't, it doesn't go very deep or leave much of an impression, but I had a great time. What'd you think? Yeah, I had a great time too. I maybe wish it would have been a little shorter, a little tighter, mm-hmm. um, but that's my only critique. And hey, what else do I have to do but sit and watch things unfold? I read in a review somewhere that uh, Wig plays the villain who is uh, Sharon Gordon Fisherman, in ah. this, it, um, as <laughs> as if as if she's Tilda Blanchett. <laughs> I was like, yes. Right. Oh yeah I, yeah. I alternately was feeling like that's who I was. Those are the actresses I was watching. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Fun casting. I like the fact that Jamie Dornan is like the only hot person in it. Right. <laughs> like. I, don't, I, don't I thought he was great too. Like for someone who we're used to seeing in kind of like overly serious yeah. uh, roles to do really something game. so silly and a lot of fun. Cartoony throwaways and also incredibly uh, quotable. Like right. just had, to me, it has the indelible comedy moments. He's obsessed with uh, official couples. Right. He's in, he's in love with uh, Sharon Gordon Fisherman. I did not know that was her name. That's very funny. Um, he, he's obsessed with becoming an official couple and recognizing other people who are official couples. That's just a weird detail that sticks. Right. Uh, a, a banana boat ride is described as being a tit flapper. I thought that was something that's going to stick around in the lexicon. I just, I, yeah, I, um, a character comedy, that is not taking itself seriously. And is this breezy? I agree. It probably could have been 20 minutes shorter and uh, wrapped everything up a little easier, but um, I enjoyed rain doy. Who's the little boy who played yo-yo mm-hmm. uh, an, in- an inexplicable character, but a delight. I just, right. and like, I, f- I feel like so much of its success is how wig and Momolo just know, know each other as actors and comedians in a yeah. way that two other people trying to do the same thing, it can't work. Like the, there's, there's clearly years of history here um, to, to have their timing and their dynamic and their groove going as, and have it work in such a weird way. Like it does. Right. Just a side note here of recognition. As I look at the um, cast list in the very beginning, he's, he only has, he only has one scene, but there's like a, he's, his character name is elderly scientist. And he's this bearded scientist in the in the, in the lair of Sharon Gordon Fisherman. Mm-hmm. I thought I recognized him. He is Patrick uh, Bristow, yes. who is the the choreographer yes. from Showgirls. Absolutely, I knew and that I recognized his face, and yeah. I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm old too!" <laughs> right? I know, crazy. Uh, a lot of fun. If you know, if if you want to laugh, mm-hmm. it's it's here for you. I was delighted and tickled. Damon Wayans Jr. in a in a role that probably didn't need to exist. I don't know that. I think that whole role could have been cut. Probably yeah. did it have anything to do with the plot ultimately. Right. Uh, Reba McIntyre shows up. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, Dan. That's what I've got. All right, me I too. Guess that's what we've got. Yes. Uh, watch, watch Minari so we can talk about it. Yes, I will. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been episode seventy-five wow. of. Holds up, and uh, that that title definitely holds up. 
And we've been Dan and Josh. Thanks for listening. Our music is by Jonah Rapino, and we'll check you out uh, next time at the film show movies. All right, bye. Cord. Hmm. I don't like this change very much. Now, is this the time that I set the first attempt when I sound weird and tinny and far away? Or nope, sounds good. Do? Sounds you good. Sound good too. Okay. When I first made it into here, I saw my big doughy face staring back at me. I, I know. Didn't, didn't like that at all. I turned that right off. Yeah. Uh, we don't need this to become Zoom too. No, we're not doing that.